Hello and welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. So for this week, I'm going to talk a bit about fear, how it works, and a few ways you as a parent can help your child manage it. Many of you probably know, but some of you might not, that my office is in Boulder, Colorado. So not surprisingly, the majority of people I work with live in Boulder or used to live in Boulder. So for this past week, I've been speaking with a lot of people and hearing about their reactions to the mass shooting that occurred here in Boulder last week. And I guess what I found most surprising was how many young people were just not all that shocked about what occurred. Now, everyone I met with was saddened by the killings, but many of them were not all that surprised. And after listening to these young people, I was able to better understand why that was. The main reason why so many of our youth were not surprised was because this type of thing is something that they just grown up with. It's been a part of their lives since they can remember. And all you need to do is look at a timeline of shootings that have occurred just in Colorado to see that this is definitely the case. The Columbine High School massacre occurred in April 1999. So that's almost 22 years ago. In 2006, there was the Platte Canyon High School hostage crisis. Then in 2010, the Deer Creek Middle School shootings occurred. Two years later, a mass shooting occurred inside a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, where 12 people were killed and 70 others were injured. At the time, the event had the largest number of victims in one shooting in modern U.S. history. A year later, 2013, in Centennial, Colorado, the Arapahoe High School shooting happened. In 2017, in Thornton, Colorado, a lone gunman walked into a Walmart, shot and killed three people. Two years later, 2019, there was the shooting at the STEM school in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. And then this last week, the Boulder shooting occurred. And what's really sad is that the list I just provided of the shootings that have occurred in Colorado since Columbine, it isn't even the full list. There were several more that I didn't mention. So when several young people said that this is something they had just grown up with, this isn't them being dramatic. This isn't a hyperbolic opinion. It's a fact. Last week, I had one young person ask me what grade I was in when I had my first active shooter drill in school. I told him I never had to do one when I was in school. And then he said he couldn't remember being in school when these drills weren't a part of his school schedule. And his question, and then his response, it brought about an awareness of the difference that can exist between how people of different ages react to these events. But I do want to be clear. I'm not saying that all the youth I met with weren't surprised, weren't shocked by the shooting last week. I'm just trying to make the point that many young people, sadly, have been desensitized in a way to the occurrence of these tragic shootings. So for the past week, I've been thinking a lot about what I should focus on in response to the shooting last week, thinking about what I can provide to be of some help to people, to parents who are afraid, who are hurting. And while I was considering what to talk about, I received an email from a parent here in Colorado. And with the permission of the parent, I decided to share her message and provide a response. And while there are so many issues, 
so many contributing factors to these types of shootings. I wanted to be sure to only speak to the things that I have any authority on to address. Okay, so this was the email message I received last week from a parent here in Colorado. It starts with, right now, I am exhausted from pain. I remember being stuck at a traffic light on the way to preschool with my oldest back in 2012. As we sat there, a half dozen Jefferson County crime scene vehicles pulled up behind me. I realized at that moment that Jessica Ridgway's body had been found. And this morning, I found out that the King Super Shooter lives down the street from us. How can I help my kids feel safe when I don't feel safe? It was easier when bad news happened far away and I could tell my kids that the bad news wasn't close to us. Thanks, an Arvada mom. Okay, so I first want to thank the parent for her thoughtful and candid message. And I know there are many of you listening to this who are feeling a similar way. So I want to start by saying it is only natural that parents will feel a lot of fear after these shootings. When someone becomes a parent, it doesn't mean that they somehow transform into a superhuman who is granted the the superpower of being invulnerable to fear. And in fact, that wouldn't be superhuman. That would actually be non-human. And because parents are human beings, they will be negatively impacted by these events and will likely experience a lot of fear about their child's safety and their own safety. It's an unrealistic expectation for parents to not be afraid after these shootings. So that's the first thing. But what I want to focus on is what parents can do with this fear. This is where parents have some control and also where parents can show up and support their kids. So one of the first things I want to say is don't allow your fear to keep you from asking your child how they are doing. Asking them what are their thoughts, feelings, and reactions to these killings. And I'm of the opinion that we should not lead with our own thoughts, feelings, and reactions. Reason being, this may shape their response. This may stifle their ability or willingness to express themselves fully and authentically. When we start with our own experience, young people will often feel that they have to agree, or even worse, feel that they have to take care of us due to the distress that we are currently experiencing. This is something we want to avoid. It is not our youth's job to make us feel safe or to validate our feelings of being unsafe. So I think it's always best to start with active listening. Active listening will allow your child to express and then explore their own thoughts and feelings about what has happened. And I have an acronym for active listening. The acronym is OPERA. The O stands for open-ended questions. P is for presence. E is for emotional labeling, R is for reflections, and A is for affirmations. For the sake of time, I decided not to break down each one of these categories in this episode. However, I will be releasing a short episode with this episode titled, How to Listen Actively, if you as a parent would like a more thorough breakdown of that opera of active listening. So that's where I think we should always start with our youth. We must be courageous enough to be curious enough to allow them to express their own experience. And this can go a long ways in allowing them to process the events that have occurred. Let's listen actively. Without doing so, we run the risk of shaping our youth's response 
and their opinion. And also, by leading with our own experience, they may feel responsible for taking care of us. And if that is something that your child is likely to do, I think it's actually a good idea to clearly state to them that they are not responsible for taking care of you, not responsible for trying to make you feel safe. Additionally, on the topic of active listening, we cannot get to any form of empathy for what they're actually going through until we listen. We do not arrive with empathy. It is only gain through listening. All right, the next thing I think we can do is be honest about the facts of what happened if our youth ask us. Because for youth who have access to media, they are likely to find out on their own. So it can be good for them to process the realities of what happened with you as opposed to without you by being honest about what happened. It also sends a message to your child that you are able and willing to talk about this difficult and dark issue as well as other issues they may be struggling with. Now on to an even more difficult effort, easing your child's fears. This one is really tough, but I'm going to do my best to break down an approach that I think can be helpful. And the reason I say it's so tough, the reason it's so difficult, is because it starts with a parent working on managing their own fear. Fear is contagious. And it's something that we cannot fully hide from our youth. Emotions, they tell us to do one of three things. Avoid, approach, or attack. And fear and its other forms, like anxiety, they are avoidance emotions. And after mass shootings, many parents and their kids will want to avoid certain places. Places where shootings have occurred. So maybe that's schools, movie theaters, and most recently, grocery stores. To address this, I'm going to share a framework that I use with young people when discussing fear and anxiety. It's called possible versus probable. And it makes some sense of how this works. I'm going to share how I use this myself a few days ago. So on Thursdays, I give presentations. And then after my last presentation every Thursday night, it's part of my routine to stop at the King Supers in Gun Barrel, which is just outside of Boulder. I go there every Thursday evening on my way home to pick up some things for the weekend. And last Thursday evening, after the presentation, I was packing up my things, and that's when fear in the form of anxiety arrived. And it arrived suddenly and strongly. And what it wanted to do was entertain a possibility. And this anxious thought train went a little something like this. Well, copycat mass shootings do happen, Nick. And the shooting was at a King Supers. Not only that, let's think about it. The store you plan on going to is in a place called Gun Barrel. Gun Barrel? Are you serious? Please don't go there. It's in the name. Avoid. Don't go. Can't you see the headlines? Another mass shooting at a King Supers in a place named after a part of a gun. You would have to be an idiot to go there tonight. So this is when I had to pause, take a deep breath, and utilize the possible versus probable framework so that I could create some distance between me and these anxious thoughts. So I asked, is it possible that I will be shot and killed at that grocery store if I go there tonight? And the answer was, yes, it is possible. But it is not probable. Definition time. Possible 
means that it can happen. However unlikely or however improbable, it can happen. So yes, it's possible. Now, probable. Probable means that it's likely to happen. That is to say, there's a decent, a good chance that it will occur. Anxiety and other forms of fear, they live in, they focus on, and want us to react to the possibilities of danger. Most important word in there, possibilities. Fear and anxiety, they have no interest in deciphering the difference between what is possible and what is probable. Our fear-based emotional systems have not evolved enough to examine and consider the differences between what is probable and what is possible. But this is where the new part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, can talk some sense into us and not allow anxiety to have the final say in what we do and what we don't do. The mistake that many of us make when anxiety warns us of possible dangers is that we try to confront or talk to the anxiety by responding with some form of, well, that is not going to happen. That is impossible. And once you try the impossible argument, anxiety has you right where it wants you. Anxiety knows that it has us beat in this impossible upcoming danger debate because it knows that it has plenty of evidence. And in this case, very recent and close to home evidence that it is possible that a shooting will occur at that store on that night. So why I bring this all up is that when it comes to easing your child's fears, it is important to know that it is usually ineffective to meet your child's anxiety, their anxieties, perilous and perishing predictions with a parental response of, no, sweetheart, that is impossible. It's my belief that you and your child are actually better served by acknowledging the possibility, but responding with an approach or a focus on the probability. And this is what I had to do last week. I had to remind myself that it is not probable. It is highly unlikely that a shooting would occur at that store while I was there. So while talking to your child about these shootings, it will be important to acknowledge their fear. Remembering what we resist persists. When we encourage our youth to resist anxiety's claims of possible danger, what can actually occur is that we give their fear the opportunity to continue its argument. Not only continue the argument, but build emotional momentum. Instead, what we can do is share with our youth that there must be a larger awareness and acceptance that if we allow the negative possibilities of things to drive our behavior, if we allow that to happen, we will never live the lives that we want to live. And an important thing to know about fear and anxiety is that it doesn't stop. It's a bully. Anxiety, fear, it has no set parameters, perimeters. I don't know which one's the right word there, but it always, it's always going to expand. When we avoid the possible, it will expand and expand. Fear is always looking to make our comfort zone smaller and smaller until it has us in our beds, under the covers, blinds drawn, and refusing to leave our homes. So if it's the case that your child is experiencing a lot of fear about the world after this past shooting, 
and maybe also bringing up and arguing about the possibility of future tragic outcomes. Maybe it's best not to tell them it's impossible, but instead introduce this idea of possible versus probable. And the next level, bring up and discuss how living in the negative possibilities of life will limit them and can result in a life that is not lived. In closing, I realize my response to this issue and to the parents' question I shared earlier, well, it's incomplete. There's much more to the story. But I did want to put out something this week to possibly be of some help to parents who are struggling locally and nationally. I realize this is a case of fear being stacked onto other fears. As many of our youth head back into in-person learning with different levels of fear about this pandemic, this difficult transition is accompanied by more and more occurrences of mass shootings. I know this is the case, and I just want to say that people, and especially young people, should not be expected to easily manage these multiple stressors. But I do believe it is the relationships, the connections that they have with others, and this definitely includes their parents. These will be the things that allow them to process what has occurred and also provide them the strength to continue living the lives that they want to live. What can we do to help? We can listen actively. We can be honest. We can be sure to express and let our youth know that they don't need to take care of our own fears. If you think it's helpful, you can introduce this idea of possible versus probable. And I know there's much more we can do, but I think what I shared is a good place to start. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website, perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective, the number four, parents.com. Thanks again.